entrepreneurship is in my blood. I knew I was betraying myself by working for someone else, by not running, doing my own thing, no fault of their own. And like I had just had been bottling it up and pushing it down inside. It just all came out. And that when you're crying because you have to go to work, it's time to quit your job. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I'm your host, Annette Grant. And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you are struggling to scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. And let's get on with the show. On this episode of Honest E-Commerce, we talk with Kurt Elster, founder of EtherCycle, about conversion rate optimization. Hey, everybody. This is Chase Clymer and Annette Grant from Honest E-Commerce. And we have probably one of the most influential people that I know in the e-commerce space as a guest on the podcast. Funny news is that he's asked me to be on his before and I can't come up with something to talk about. So it's pretty funny to me that he made it on here. I would love to welcome Kurt Elster to our show. So uh, how are you doing, Kurt? I'm good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure to be here. Welcome. We're excited to talk to you today. Absolutely. So let's get on into it. Uh, Why should I care who you are and what you talk about? Because I exclusively help Shopify merchants and I do one thing with them and that's help them make more money. I'm like looking at any Shopify store, I could tell you, okay, here are where the hidden profits are. And it's not like where the profits go. They're hiding under the couch. None of that. No, there are from working with hundreds of Shopify merchants at this point, I have the experience to look at almost any store. I'm sure there are some exceptions and say, hey, here's the stuff you're missing. Here's how you will make more money. Ooh, I'm I'm kind of nervous to show you my store, but we'll do that offline <laughs> later. I would love to. Um, well, let's how how many you said hundreds of stores over what type of time frame has that been, Kurt? Uh, so I became a, a Shopify partner in 2011 when the then head of the Shopify partner program, Dan Evelay, saw a store, an entirely custom theme we built as our first store for a local bike shop, Amling Cycle. That theme and site still up today, amlingcycle.com, if you want to check that out. Desperately in need of a refresh, but the cobbler's children have no shoes. And then around 2015, we said, let's exclusively do e-commerce. Let's exclusively do Shopify. And that was the best decision we ever made. That is an incredible inflection point in our business where we said, all right, let's go all in, hitch our cart to the right horse. Gotcha. So before you were you were doing you're building stores on Squarespace, um, Magento, other other platforms, kind of dabbling in all of them. Even broader than that, I'll give you the origin story. Wonderful. I've, I've been doing e-commerce for my entire adult life, on and off, starting with eBay in high school, and then I ran uh, in college. I took an entrepreneurship course, and they said you, <laughs> the teacher handed everybody twenty bucks and said you got twenty bucks to go start a business. And mine was one of the most successful because I started making and selling band t-shirts on eBay. But I really didn't understand copyright at the time. And then Warner Brothers sent me a nice nasty gram about that. (laughs) Soon after, I said, all right, well, I started buying software uh, like Microsoft Office and stuff from the academic stores and selling that on eBay. Got a nasty gram for Microsoft because apparently I didn't understand how software licenses work either. And like really no malicious. I just did. I wasn't being malicious. I didn't have the experience. 
And then after college, I worked as a channel manager for a e-commerce dropshipper, thmotorsports.com. And from there, I got up to go to work one day, knew I was betraying myself by not being an entrepreneur, broke down crying, tying my Chuck Taylors, and said, quit my job that day with no plan. The very next day, I called up a friend of mine who uh, had lost his job, was a talented developer, he was fun employed. It was 2009, the, the recession was hitting everybody. And I said, let's build an e-commerce platform. Shooting for the moon, didn't know what I didn't know. Turns out that's really hard. So about a year into that, we started doing building WordPress sites, traditional stuff for local businesses, uh, which was a lot of fun and worked our way very quickly up to doing fulfillment for creative agencies. Like we built a contest site for the foam off campaign that Verizon ran with the NFL. And then our our last non-Shopify site was uh, building this a uh, beautiful WordPress site for Hilton Hotels. It's the withotel.com. And that's still up today as well. Nice. So this is honest e-commerce. I need to know, you really did shed tears when you decided to quit. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Entrepreneurship is in my blood. I knew I was betraying myself by working for someone else, by not running, doing my own thing. No fault of their own. And like I had just had been bottling it up and pushing it down inside. It just all came out. And that when you're crying because you have to go to work, it's time to quit your job. No doubt. Did you um, did you seed um, was all the money to start your business? Was that was that all your own, or did you your partner pitch in? How, what did that look like in the beginning? Uh, we went to my parents, who gave us uh, over the course of I don't know how many how long, but I think over the course of twelve months, we borrowed a total of fifteen thousand dollars, one five, and then uh, paid that back in full. Oh, so it was. Okay. Strapped with a small angel investment. Did you cry to your parents? They feel bad for you. <laughs> Say fine. Here's some money. <laughs> well, interesting story. My dad had my dad had lost his job when I was a kid, and didn't work again. Became a day trader, but always said over and over, "If you're your own boss, you can never get fired. You should start your own thing. You should be your own thing. Do your own thing." So even though he was not an entrepreneur necessarily, there was no one in my family who were entrepreneurs. They saw in a, the value in it. They appreciated it. They understood the importance of it. And so they they very early on pushed me to do that. Absolutely. So what was the transition from building these WordPress stores to finding uh, you know, Shopify and and kind of focusing all in on that? You know, was it just you happened across it or uh, were you trying to fit like a square peg in a round hole and it just wasn't working out? So I had a, a friend we had uh, I'd worked in a local bike shop called Ambling Cycle that I mentioned earlier. That was like one of the things we I was doing for extra cash and for fun and because I like bikes and I wanted the employee discount. But I, I worked in in this bike shop and he would pick our brains on stuff like web stuff, etc. Because it was still very much a word of mouth business at that time. And he said, you know, we really hate our um, our e commerce provider. You know, web stuff. Help me out here. What can we do? And I said, you know, what what are you looking for? What do you want out of it? I'm like, what do you hate about the current one? He's like, it's really hard to use. It's really limited. And I said, well, I heard about this thing called Shopify. That's it's so it's it looks easy to use. It looks like it's got flexibility with apps. Why don't we try that? He's like, all right, do it. And we charged him like it had to have been like less than two thousand dollars to build a design and develop an entirely custom theme for Shopify. And then after that, we got uh, our second. Shopify project was Bandon Dunes Golf Course. This is a huge golf course in uh, Oregon. And we, again, same deal, built this custom site out. 
after every Shopify project, we go, well, that was easy. Well, it wasn't that it was easy. It's that we were good at it. It just took us a long time to figure that out. Well, that's amazing. Uh, so it's funny that you, the, the first project, I listen to another podcast all the time by Jason Swank. And the first question he asks when it's another agency owner is, how much did you charge for that first project? That's so, a good one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm sure I was, I've been freelancing since I was like 16. And I'm sure I was charging $50 and $100 for the dumbest things back then. Yeah, everyone undervalues themselves. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that uh, you have a nice saying out there for, for everybody, don't you? <laughs> yeah, charge more. <laughs> the number one piece of business business advice I could give anyone is charge more. Like, if, do you have customers? Well, they, they will pay more. Charge more, right? Like, keep. Initially, I figured out based on supply and demand. That was how I do it. Was every time I treated my our availability as a small team, we had three people as the supply, and then uh, the demand was how much time we had left. So if we were fully booked, then I doubled prices on everything. And like, and that was how I did it. It you know took a lot of economics classes. I thought that was a sane approach. But really, what's going on is as business people, as entrepreneurs, we're looking for someone to give us permission. So in my case, that supply and demand trick gave me like a rule, a reason to do it. But the reality is, I and I used to coach freelancers. I'd say, oh, you know, that your rate is low. You're a skilled person. I believe in you. Raise your rate. And they're like, well, I can't raise my rate until I do. That's a phrase that you ask someone, well, why can't you raise your prices? They'll go, well, I can't do it until full stop. It is your business. You can charge literally whatever you want. You don't need a system. You don't need permission. You can just do it and change the prices. They're arbitrary. I get excited. Yeah. Annette's over here just shaking her head. That's like a drop the mic. Yeah, no, I I agree. And then if people don't want to pay it, then you you might need to adjust your price or not or find new customers. The market does not set your rate. You do. Yeah. The value is relative to the person, to their need at that time, to the problems they have, to their timeline, to their project, to the level of risk they are comfortable with. So you really don't get to set the price. It is up to the buyer to say yes or no. And if you don't give them that opportunity to pay more, well, then they're not going to do it. Absolutely. So I know we're getting a little bit tangential here and I knew that would happen. Uh, If anyone didn't know me and Kurt are great friends and we're in a mastermind together and we talk all the time. So I was sure that we were going to talk about some freelance and agency stuff during this, but I'm going to try to bring it back into the Shopify store to the e-commerce store. So you have specialized even further since uh, focusing on Shopify, right? Yeah, well, we then uh, we looked at what our... It's always been looking at what our skills are. Like, what's the overlap between our skill set and stuff we love and what people want? You know, what, what are they willing to pay for? And if like in that intersection are the services you should offer. So uh, we started with a unusual model at the time and everyone was doing billing by the hour or project based but you just got a quote later so you really didn't know how you were getting billed i said listen let's simplify that and when you go to when you purchase a car they don't like give you a proposal for the car when you buy a house you don't get a proposal you make an offer and you you either get it or don't but you have an idea up front you know what the house costs the car you know what you can afford And we don't do that in the service industry, which is nuts. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to do everything fixed price, fixed scope, productized consulting model. And so my prices are out there and you can decide if if the project is worth the price. And that um, I see way more people doing that now years later. But that was a a great way to reduce a big friction point. And that's really like a lot, all revenue optimization for any business is, is just looking for those friction points in the buying process and kicking them out of the way. So whether that's conversion rate optimization or a sales page on a freelance website, it's 
like it's all the same strategies and tactics at the end of the day. And I appreciate that as a store owner. When, I, when I'm looking for help with my store, I don't want to have the back and forth. Let's, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about it. See what my needs are. And then all of a sudden, they send me a proposal. I'm like, holy smokes, Like you should have just told me out of the gate. I wouldn't have even wasted your time with a, a meeting either. It's just the price is out of my range. you know. So I appreciate that when I go... Like, yeah, if I want to, if I want to purchase something, if they are just very, you know, transparent and give me the price, I'll know right away if I should even reach out with an introductory email and ask them, you know, if we can do business. So I appreciate that, and I think that saves time on on everybody's front, you know, which is very valuable. So I'm down with that for sure, because I spend a lot of time going back and forth with people. I'm like, ooh, I can't can't afford you. It's very egalitarian. Like everyone pays the same price. Mm-hmm. Like I've worked. We've worked with tons of of just mom and pop things, small business owners, people with side hustles, but we've also worked with Jay Leno and Hoonigan and these big, these much larger brands. And guess what? Jay, the the flip side to that productized consulting model is Jay Leno pays exactly the same price as you know the the bike shop down the corner. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes it very fair. No, that and I think I think as a consumer also when it is on your site like that, I feel good about that too that I don't have to sit there and negotiate back and forth over and over again like your prices are out there, you know, on the internet so people can see them. So it, there is that honesty part that's just there um right out of the gate. So I do I do appreciate that for sure. Keep keep that going. <laughs> I, I plan on it. Yeah, no that's awesome. Yeah. Just something I see quite often when people are reaching out to us or other other you know agencies or freelancers that are in my circle is there's always the touchy question of budget and mm-hmm. right is, you know you I think we talked about this yesterday Kurt it's just like you know the budget question isn't to see how much money I can score off you this I'm not in this to like rob you I'm in this to understand like are you trying to imagine a car dealership like are you trying to get a Honda or are you trying to get a Corvette I need to understand what what ballpark we're in here so I can make sure to tailor what we need to do to what you can afford. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, and I think the trick is to, like, you get the, you all, when we used to ask, hey, what's your budget? And you get the response is always some variation on prefer not to say. But really in their head, they're like, ha, I fooled them. I'm a master negotiator. <laughs> and it's like, no, you, you didn't, like, it, this is not a dinner party. Like, it is impolite to talk about money in the, a social context. This is business and we're adults. Now, the entire point of business is to make money at a profit. Guess what? We have to talk about money. You need to be comfortable talking about your numbers and there is nothing wrong with that. If you can't do that, probably like either work on it or don't be in business. But the asking that budget question up front, it is a qualifying question. It is not designed to screw anybody. It's designed so you don't waste time. Like I'm not I'm not going to roll up into the Bentley dealership with Honda money. It's designed to prevent those situations. Absolutely. And it helps me push it along in certain directions. You know, are we going to go something that's a little more fixed scope and we're going to do an awesome premium theme, maybe with our friends from out of the sandbox, do that turbo theme? Or are we going to, you know, see how many bells and whistles we can fit on this new thing and build something custom from the ground up and have some fun with it? Let's get into it. Right now is Black Friday season, but this isn't going to come out until January. So we're getting a few of these in the cans. But you know, for 2019, helping all these stores be as profitable as they can be. Let's kind of get into what you've been specializing in recently, which is conversion rate optimization. Hell yeah. All righty. Annette, you've got a few questions over there if you want to rip on them. What is conversion rate optimization? 
That's good. All right. So if we we do some back of the napkin math, let's say your store gets 100 people a day. Let's say that's a a decent number for a a validated store, 100 people a day. And out of those, one person purchases every day. That's a 1% conversion rate. Number of people we convert from visitor to purchaser, right? Mm -hmm. So that most people probably already knew on. That's our our key key performance indicator that we're looking at that is a measure of our revenue. And there's other key performance indicators in there. What percent of those visitors add to cart? How many, what percent reach checkout? What is the average order value of those purchases? And how many, what percent of those people are returning customers? Those, that and the traffic are our key performance indicators and they all play into each other. So if I can move the needle on any one of those, if I could take any one of them and push them up, I have now optimized the store for revenue. Like we talk about conversion rate optimization, I view myself as a revenue optimization specialist. I just want to move the, all of those are, are levers for more money in your store. I want to move all of those numbers up and to the right. But specific to conversion rate optimization is that final number, hey, can we get more, can we turn more of our visitors into buyers? Is there an industry average conversion rate? Like what would, would you just give a number out there? Or would you need to look like industry specifics? You know, if it's like apparel versus, I don't know, something else that's purchased online. But is there something that you like the KPI of your customer that you you actually give them right out of the gate? Or is that um, specific to their industry? I call it reading tea leaves. You, know, you have to you have to have a sense for it because there's several, there's a few key factors that are going to affect conversion rate. Quality of traffic, number one, like how are you getting people? If they're coming from reviews that talk about how great you are, if it's organic traffic that way, well, oh, those people are going to, of course, be more likely to buy than someone who just learned about your product uh, seconds ago from a Facebook ad. So quality of traffic is going to be the biggest thing that changes your conversion rate. And that's like number one, why it's so tough to compare numbers because you have to keep all these other things the same. The quality of the site, is it professional? And because that will inspire trust, more people will buy. What's the price? The product price and uh, the conversion rate are going to be inversely correlated. You know, it, it just flatly, it is much easier to sell a $25 t-shirt than it is to sell a $300 bracelet, right? Like it's just, it's different. And so the benchmark there I use is 50 bucks. If an item is under, if the average order value is under 50 bucks, it passes the wife test. I don't have to ask my wife permission to make the purchase. If it's over 50 bucks, ah, I should probably check with my wife before I make the purchase. So that's kind of my, my benchmark there. So that has a, a big impact on it. And then of course, like the industry, the products, if you have a ton of products, you're just some supermarket, well, that's not going to have, that's going to have a lower conversion rate. Mm-hmm. If you've got one really focused, great product, that will have a higher conversion rate. But all right, I'll give you the range for the whole funnel. Four, this is, would be like the typical thing if I just want, I want to see in an average store that I will now consider optimized. I want the add to cart rate to be 10%. That means one out of 10 people add to cart. That's great. Okay. That means they, they were very, they're engaged, they're interested, they, got, they could find the product they wanted. So that add to cart rate is an indication of, of findability of like the first half of the funnel. That means I've got good traffic going to the site, finding the item they want, adding it to cart. Then I want half of those people to reach checkout. If half of them reach checkout, that's great. Of those, I expect about half of them to make a purchase. So that'll put me at a 2.5% conversion rate, 5% reach checkout rate, 10% add to cart rate. Not every store is going to be able to do that. I mean, I talked to a guy that, uh, just today um, who is a, they sold a fitness product. And in June, 
They were selling at consistently uh, 4.75% conversion rate. And now that it's fall, uh, it, it's getting colder. Their conversion rate had dropped to 1%. So like their seasonality and things, there are so many factors in there. And that's what makes it so tough to compare. Gotcha. Now those are those are at least giving giving me an idea, you know, with my store, some things that I need to look at. Is there a um just to help um our listeners, is there an app that you can kind of set these KPIs within Shopify? Do you know off the top of your head? Like I'm trying to give some resources to myself and our listeners. Is that is there a plugin that they could do for for these KPIs or is that just something that they need to know? I mean, I know they're on the metrics and inside Shopify, but Oh, like to get reporting? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I wish there was a way to do automated reporting. I don't know if there is. Uh, Gleam probably does, but it's really it's like enter the pricing at least is enterprise level okay. for Gleam. And in Google Analytics which you tear your hair out trying to set up the advanced stuff at Google Analytics. You could set it up to do automated reports. But what's really cool is you could build a dashboard in Google Analytics. So you put your, your KPIs up there and then you can have it email you reports regularly. But please, every merchant is, is going to be staring at that dashboard, that app, whatever, like every day, seeing how many people bought, how many people have visited the site, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm sure they, they check their, their KPIs. Uh, you just load it up in Shopify Analytics and generally, you want to look at it over 30 days. If you're looking at it for like, you know, comparing day to day to day, there's just not enough data there. It's going to skew wildly. So I try to look at it in 30-day increments. And I also like to tell people to look at it from the last 30 days versus the 30 days of the pre- previous year, not the 30 days of the previous metric. Because especially think about these 30 days now heading up to Black Friday and Cyber Monday. That is going to perform hopefully a lot better than the 30 days prior. So those that's comparing those two segments is doing yourself a disjustice. But if you compare it to the previous same segment of the previous year, you're going to get a lot better looking to see if there was any growth or any opportunity. No, absolutely. And then you know on that topic, I mentioned seasonality, and you said compare previously, and like right now things may be slow because people are holding off purchases until Black Friday at the time of this recording. Uh, but generally, a good sniff test I use for are are we is this drop something we should be worried about, or is it something systemic, like due to uh, seasonality? Is I I check our kids in school. That's my test. If kids are out of school, purchases in general go down. They correlate. So like right around spring break, you'll see a dip. Over the summer will be a slow season unless you have a product that is very summer based, like bikes, Christmas break, etc. It's kind of interesting. And I have three kids, so I, I assume I'm more aware of it than than someone who didn't. Yeah, I, my eyes just kind of like got really wide when because that's something that I do not think about at all. I, I'm children. assuming kids are in school right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They are. Yes. They are. That's no. That that's very interesting. Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your e-commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler's network of on-demand, US-based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution. No hidden fees, contracts, or minimums. 
Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler Specialist. Start your free 7-day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I slash honest. Cool. So, uh, Kurt, I am a DIYer, right? I have my own Shopify store. I make a few bucks every month for pizza. What is the number one thing I'm probably overlooking on my store that you would come in there and kick me right in the butt to fix? <laughs> yes, I well, want to know this. There's a couple things. Lately, I am shocked and appalled by how many people do not have dynamic checkout buttons enabled. That one drives me nuts. Dynamic checkout buttons being the buy now button that Shopify recently added earlier this year when uh, Amazon's patent on this technology expired. I'm not kidding. These guys patented a buy now button like almost 20 years ago and it has since expired. Uh, that one is so great. So enabling that, um, majority of people don't have it. And where would they enable that? It's buried as a theme setting. Okay. See, I don't know if I have that. So I'm going to have to check. Yeah, help us out with that. And it came out in April. So most themes would have been updated to support it over the summer. So if okay. you haven't done a theme update and you got your theme before April, you may not have support for it. Not too tough to add. You know, I'll, I'll throw some developers under the bus. It's about an hour of work. Okay. Yeah, but you have to have Shopify Pay enabled for it, right? You can't be using a third-party payment provider, right? Not actually the case. Really? Uh, like authorized, we've got a big client uses authorized.net recently added the buy now buttons. And it supports Apple Pay and Google Pay. And if you're using a third-party gateway like PayPal, um, that is also offered as a payment option for like buy now on desktop. Awesome. Next. I, I, we want more. <laughs> what's, your, what's, right. what's up next? Here's, this one is probably my number one pet peeve is the main menu. Everyone jams everything into their main menu and then they put all their shopping into a drop-down menu. So they've got one tiny four little word that's probably not even the first thing that says meekly shop. And then next to that is like about us, FAQs, contact us, and a whole <laughs> bunch of other garbage that doesn't matter. Go on Amazon's site. All of that garbage is in the footer where it should be. If people need that stuff, they will find it. Or like if you're using a theme like Turbo, put that in the top menu, which is that tiny menu in the upper left where your main menu should be devoted 100% exclusively to shopping, which will let you, instead of having that sad shop dropdown, break the stuff out of the dropdown so that at a glance, I don't have to click on anything, hover on anything, tap anything. I can at a glance see, oh, here are your categories. Men's tops, women's tops, whatever it is. Yeah, that one drives me nuts. And along with that, oh my gosh, stop putting home as a link. At this point, it is 2018, almost, or it's 2019. <laughs> Everyone knows to click the the logo or go back. They're not stupid. And then the third is use a pop-up and collect emails. Mm -hmm. It's like the magic of your business, the real value is in the audience. And the email list is the best way to collect that audience. So even if you're not sending out newsletters, you don't even have a service hooked up, get a pop-up that collects emails for you. It will be worth it. A good If you've got good content and a good pop-up, a 3% opt-in rate would be typical. Yeah. So I just want to unpack that first statement there. <laughs> a shopping focused navigation needs to be top of mind. That's how we approach any redesign on our end. And the reason being is look at your analytics and you can see what pages people are visiting. And the most visited categories and products are probably 85-15 where you're making all your money. So are you saying that your about page that gets 1% of your traffic has the same weight in your business as your, let's say you're an apparel brand, as your men's tops, which is 70% of your revenue? No, put that stuff in the footer. 
you want to get people. It's e-commerce in, in short is the least clicks possible to check out mm-hmm. is how you want it to work. Yes. Yeah. That's and so with conversion rate optimization, my step one is let's remove a whole bunch of garbage. Let's make it as fast get people to the best selling product as fast as possible. And that's why I said that I use that add to cart percent as an indicator. That will tell you if people can find their product. If your add to cart percent's real low, that's scary. I want to see it at 10%, 15%, 20% would be amazing. But like anyway, somewhere above five up to 15. And that is a very good indicator of have you made it as easy as possible to find products? Because even if they get to that best-selling product and it's not quite the right thing for them, a switch has been flipped. They are now in shopping mode. They are now browsing your store. It is the difference between walking past a storefront and going into the store. And now, uh, okay, now they're in your remarketing funnel, etc. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you were going to touch on this at all, but I'm thinking about just getting people to the product and adding to cart. Something we've been doing a lot lately is uh, upgrading the built-in search and filtering functionality with our Shopify stores and using smart search like autofills and more robust filterings. You'd be surprised at how that really helps get people to the product faster. Oh, yeah. Uh, search is, is huge. Like an easy one, we found this years ago and it has held consistent. If you change the label in the search box from search dot 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 to search the store dot dot dot, it works so much better. And if you have a big one, a big search bar, you could put um, like example searches and just link to the search query string for those things. Like, you know, example, you could see this on cowbucker.com. They sell hats, cowbucker with a B. There's like a big search bar and it'll be like examples, like your favorite team, your school, et cetera. Uh, and that prompt really. Uh, gets people more engaged with it. Yeah, to your point, Chase, search is hugely important. You need only go look at Amazon to see that like the search bar is always the primary focus, first thing everywhere to understand how important that is. And the the autofill is is great as well. What is your favorite search app, Mr. Climber? Uh, mm. Lately, we've been using Searchanize quite a bit. Searchanize? Yeah, that sounds good. We've actually... We've got a pretty robust SOP written for that. We've implemented, I'd say, a dozen times this year. I got to check that out. It's pretty We've cool. Used Findify several times uh, is good, and it adds a lot of like collection filtering and stuff, which is nice. But it, you know, there's, I've not encountered the perfect search app yet, so I should check out Searchanize. Uh, yeah, the, they all have their own, uh, their own way course. to solve the solve the exact same problem, but. I think especially for mobile, you'll find that a lot of themes on mobile, their search is just an afterthought. They're trying to be a pretty theme and get people to install. But on mobile, people aren't navigating your mega menu. They're going straight to search. And if it doesn't help them get to your product, you're just going to lose that sale. Exactly. That was going to be my question is the pointers that you're giving us, uh, the store owners, do do we take these with you know our mobile first? I know my, most of my shoppers are mobile, and I get stuck. I kind of get stuck in that mode of looking at on my on my laptop versus you know mobile user. How how do you combat that, or how do you talk to your clients about that? And and how how should we pay attention to you know desktop versus mobile? I don't think there is a you can't focus on just one um, because yeah things are going to skew toward mobile. But it's often, it's a longer process. It is a multi-device process. It is very much the case where like, I'll be sitting on, you could, you've done that. We've all done this. You, and I, you see something on TV or an idea pops in your head as you're watching Netflix. Then you load up your phone, you find the thing, you research it. 
and then you don't necessarily purchase it. You're like, all right, I'll check that out later. And like in my case, I will that I count on the remarketing ad to pop up in my desktop feed <laughs> right, right. to go check it out. Like I may, you may see people like have a higher. If you look in your Google Google Analytics, you can segment by device. You may see, oh, there's a higher um, like time on site is higher, pages viewed is higher on mobile, but purchase rate is higher, conversion rate is higher on desktop. Well, that's probably what's going on. But the dynamic checkout button, that's like perfect for mobile because it takes like the big pain point, the big stopper on mobile is on that little. Despite all the texting we do, nobody wants to type in all their their address and their credit card number with the tiny. The, the tiny phone keyboard. It sucks. Oh, true. That's true. The buy now button lets you make that purchase in literally eight seconds. You could time it. I, it's just extraordinary. So let's, uh, that's actually probably a good time to close again is like everyone needs to get that dynamic buy button. But can you give our listeners um, just, I want to listen to you all day. So we'll probably have to have you on um, often as a regular on the show just for to help me with my sales on my shop. But what are some free resources that um, you could give our listeners immediately? Um, I know you have a, a newsletter, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. we've got... Do you want to... Well, I'm probably best known for the unofficial Shopify podcast. We've got, uh, at the time of this airing, probably a million downloads. Wow, congrats. Uh, I, I hope to have cracked a million downloads. which would be great. And yeah, that's a great resource, unofficial Shopify podcast. Or... If you never want to miss an episode and you want to be able to pick my brain, Google me, Kurt Elster, kurtelster.com, sign up for my newsletter. The newsletter gets sent from my very real email address. And I, despite what some people think, I read my own email. (laughs) So if you hit reply to it uh, and ask a thoughtful question, I will send you back a thoughtful answer. That's how we met. No, that's great. Yep. I I emailed Kurt and uh, now we're friends. That the world is crazy. And uh, you also launched a YouTube channel recently. I've got uh, yeah, we got a YouTube channel with uh, two thousand subscribers. That's fun. I wanted to experiment. You know, honestly, the way I started my podcast because I was like, you know what, we could do that, and I want an excuse to buy a microphone. And now <laughs> I've got like this crazy thousand dollars set up because um, I geeked out. And but the same with um, YouTube. I said, you know what, I want. I want to do a YouTube channel because why not? I was feeling guilty about buying an expensive car. So I'm like, how do I monetize the car? Ah, I started a YouTube series called Sunday Drives in which I drive from my house to the gas station, my favorite gas station. I have opinions on gas stations. And <laughs> however long that drive is, that is the length of the video. And so I would do... There are like eight minutes and I would run through like a, a tip for that week and that was how I, I got going on YouTube. I called it the Sunday Drive series. So if you look up uh, EtherCycle, that's our agency name on YouTube, you'll find that. I like it. So Chase and I need to visit you um, and come to your meetup. And we want to do one of the Sunday Drives with you also. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> well, it's a two-seater. So you're going to have to take turns. Oh, well, yeah. Chase can just go. We'll take, we'll take turns or something. Or you can let us ca- drive your car yeah, to the gas Yeah, I don't know if that's station. happening. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'll learn how to do it. Not in the Chicago winter. (laughs) How good are you at this? Oh, I put winter tires on it. I'm not messing around. Nice. (laughs) Who here could drive a six-speed? That's that's all we need to know. I can drive a six-speed. All right, I'll let you drive it. All right. Deal. Awesome. Uh, I actually learned how to drive manual before I learned how to drive automatic. So did my wife. She's been driving longer than I have. I was like, marriage material. You know what's funny is I don't believe that that our kids now, they're not going to know how to drive manuals. Not at all. Well, aren't you like 17, Chase? <laughs> yep, yep, you know, going on. 
child prodigy he is. I actually, uh, I'll be 29 in three weeks. Oh, okay. congratulations. It's yeah. weird when you hit 30. That's when you get your robot body. Yes. They come in the night and do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kurt, is there, uh, is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners? Uh, let them know. You know what? If you want to get into conversion rate optimization, you really want to experiment with this. There's two easy ways to do this. One, you got to let someone else use your site. The issue is you have seen your site through your eyes more than anyone else. No one spends as much time on your website as you do. You are now completely blind to the problems with it. So do this. Get someone who's never messed with your site Give them, hand them your phone and say, hey, give them a task. Be like, just find and purchase a product. Watch them do it. Keep your mouth shut. It will be maddening. And when you realize how bad your site (laughs) is in the eyes of someone else, now go start messing with Hotjar. Hotjar Hotjar.com, free. uh, They've got a free plan that's great. And it is a really powerful tool. You can run heat apps on your site, scroll maps. You want to know why people aren't buying? It'll let you do a thing where on exit, it's called an exit poll. When people go to exit, let's say they're viewing your product page, boom, thing pops up and asks, hey, is there a reason why you didn't make a purchase today? Oh, that's so cool. And then you can, so you can literally find out people's objections. Hotjar is just a fabulous tool. I get nothing from them. I don't even know them. I'm just enamored with it. Check out Hotjar. Hotjar is amazing. And then sign up for my newsletter. Yeah. No, great. Yeah, we're going to link to the multitude of informational resources that you put out in the show notes. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to listen to this like several times because I think I need to get busy on my store like right when we you know get off this uh, <laughs> recording send me your store I will I will send you a screencast I'll Ooh, do a teardown I will love that uh, we'll have to do a live one after too it'll be really um, exciting so no thank you so much I, I've um, definitely learned a lot and I know our listeners um, hopefully will have a lot of takeaways also yeah thank you so much Kurt thank you my pleasure We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io slash connect. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. 